This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. One thing we do know, the things that drive satisfaction are things like clear and open communication, having a consistent service experience, being respected, so the organisation being respectful to them in the way that we're providing our services and removing bureaucracy and red tape. And they're actually no different than the drivers of satisfaction for other industries. That's the voice of Bruce Dobson. He's the Director of Customer Experience and Business Transformation at the City of Burundara. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. Hey there, I'm Michael Momsen. So, Michael, today we are delving into local councils and government departments to find out how the very best are approaching a entire business transformation around customer centricity. Yes, and what an important topic it is if you've ever applied for a pet or a fence or a shed or a pool or a renovation at your home with your local council. You know how painful it is. You know the annoying processes. You know the bureaucracy and the hoops that you have to jump through. So, here Here is a council on a mission to become hyper-customer centric. It's a fantastic conversation about how they got to that point and how they're going to do it. Yes, that's right, Michael. And it's worth mentioning that the business case for this initiative has a planned budget of $129 million attached to it, which kind of got me thinking, if I had $129 million to spend on a customer experience initiative, Where would I begin? And so that's exactly what we asked Bruce. We started out by asking him to explain the customer first program for us. Burundara Council's always had a really good community satisfaction ratings when we're um, benchmarked against other councils in Victoria. But we know that our customers are changing in what they expect of us. Uh, We're no different from other. industries in that respect, I think. Um, So we're looking at how we move, essentially the program's about how we move from a traditional customer service model where our customers have to navigate around us to do what they want and they have to contact a number of people to do that sometimes um, to a a really customer-centred model where the things we do and the decisions we make and how we design our services are with our customers at front of mind and they walk away with the experience of knowing that we've navigated the organisation around them rather than them navigating around us. Um, You know, as a local government, that's why we're here. We're here for our community. We're here for our customers. um, And that's why we're implementing this customer-first program. And I mean, in short, it's about evolving our business. We're reviewing, um, think about a local government. It does many, many different things. We've got over 150 services we provide. We're reviewing all the processes that we've got associated with those services We're looking to uplift our software. Um, We've got many, many systems that, again, have evolved and developed over time, many of which are now fragmented and outdated. And this program will transform the way that the community can communicate with us to find what they need to complete transactions, to find solutions when they like and how they like. So the total spend over, well, you mentioned the program, $129 That's over a 15-year period. Um, And that total spends around 3% of our budget over that 15 years, just to put it in context and perspective. In our business case, which we had prepared for this program, um, we've certainly got expenditure, but we're um, expecting to realise significant benefits over that period as well. And the business case sets out $182 million of benefits coming back to council and our ratepayers over that time period. 
I'd love to hear about how this was born, actually, and how did, how did this come to the forefront of, yes, actually, there's a problem here because continuing the status quo is just a lot easier. <laughs> it's the way that we've always done things. Um, and so I'm interested in, I suppose, two parts. Like, one, why do you even call your council payers customers? Um, and then two, like, how did this thing come about as a, we need to actually fix this thing? We've had strong satisfaction ratings um, in the past, and we still do. You know, but a few years ago, um, mm-hmm. through research, we started to see our customers wanting different things. We started to recognise them as being increasingly time poor. 62% or so of our population are working full-time um, and generally working pretty long hours. So we've seen um, our customers look at us and we've heard from our customers who look at us to say, well, we want to be able to do things with you like we do with our insurance companies or how we get our services from our banks or how we are able to now engage with um, online retailers. You know, so we've seen expectations change. And even though we've travelled well from a satisfaction point of view, we know that our community is changing really quickly and we need to move to be able to make sure that we're continuing to meet their expectations and demands into the future. Um, so that's kind of the genesis of why we developed a strategy to change from, you know, very much a traditional service-based organisation split into different functional areas to move towards an organisation that can provide flexibility to the people who want to deal with us. And in fact, so that we can get out of their way a lot of the time so that when they need to do something with us, if they choose to, they don't need to talk to someone to do that. They can actually do it themselves. They can get online. They can um, apply for something. They can pay for something. They don't even necessarily need to talk to a, a person at council. And that makes it easier for them. Now, we'll still provide the options for those who want to do that. So um, it's important to us that our community is, is large and diverse and many will want to continue to, to talk to a council person to, to ring up and to mm. you know, get their queries satisfied that way. Bruce, one thing that you mentioned earlier on that I, that I want to pick up on is that uh, it, it really kind of inspired me, um, this idea of uh, navigating you know, the organisation and, and its services around the customer rather than the customer having to navigate themselves around the organisation. It can be quite difficult to kind of navigate all of those around a, a single customer. So, I'm interested in how you're actually going about changing this program um, when you have such a huge breadth of different services and systems and legacy stuff that I suppose you do have to change over. So I guess the key thing we're trying to do is look at what we do through our customers' eyes and the way that they interact with us, um, you know, rather than the traditional way that we've been uh, providing services in the past. So I'll give you an example. If a resident in Burundara wants to say they want to construct a front fence, they want to build a new front fence, and that resident, to be able to do that, will need various permissions. They may need a planning permit, depending if, if their, their property might be in an area, there might be a heritage-listed area, they might need a permit for their fence. They may need a building permit. If they're doing work that's on our footpath, so we own the footpath we look about, they might need an asset protection permit. There are many, many different um, areas of council who actually have a role in a person wanting to build a front fence. So what we're trying to do is rather than that person having to apply for their planning permit to the planning department and apply to the building department and apply to the asset protection area, we're looking at, well, how can we actually look at that transaction or we use the word customer journeys, you know, we look at the journeys our customer have with us. So how can we look at that thing they're trying to do with us and organise ourselves so that they don't have to go to multiple areas? You know, we take care of that at the back end 
and we've got the information before us about that customer. We understand what their recent interactions have been because our data is up to date and accurate and easily accessible by people in the organisation which our systems provide. And then we can do the navigation of the process through them and they can apply for what they want and we can take care of it at the back end. You know, rather than having to go to multiple departments and pay multiple fees and, and deal with multiple people. So that's just an, an illustration of what it means for the people in our community um, and what we're trying to do. So I guess the, the follow-up to that, Bruce, is what's actually changed then in the new model? Um, do you kind of have like a single point of contact who is your one case manager and then they navigate all the different departments internally so the structure in the back end stays the same but you're just putting a new uh front end on it or are you actually re-architecting the entire council um hierarchy and and business structure to achieve it yeah how do you do this <laughs> yes i'm not saying we've done it all yet that's why we've got a program of work ahead of us but you know and the program is reviewing the systems and processes in different areas it's looking at where we need to uplift our our back-end systems to make sure we've got the information about customers at hand for, for people um, to be able to help with our customers' queries. Um, and data is a really key part of that, making sure that, our, that we've got really good, accurate data. Um, you know, and in the past, we would have had our customers spread across multiple systems um, because they deal with us in, 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 you know, for a number of different services. Um, case management is certainly one thing we're looking at. Um, so the idea of having a for someone who wants to do multiple things, particularly through a query, um, having someone who can help facilitate that request and then go back to the customer. So that is something that we're actually doing some work on this year. You know, and look, fundamentally, it's about the people in the organisation um, uh, operating in a, in a way that's been different than the past as well. And that's a really important part of this program. So changing the way we work um, with the addition of and benefit of new systems and new technology to underpin you know, information and capability and being able to provide a really good front end to the customer so that they can liaise with us in that way you know, if they want to. Um, and so that process of change within the organisation is a really important part of this program to enable that to happen. Going from that vision of customer wants to build a fence, they should be able to come to us, we should be able to then work out all the things that are required and then make that easy and seamless for the for the for the customer. That's obviously like fantastic dream and vision. <laughs> like sounds amazing. That could be my local government. That'd be incredible. I'm interested in how you go from that vision to then breaking it down into this plan. Like I'd actually just love to hear the practicalities of because I think a lot of people could just be overwhelmed by the enormity of ah, like the systems are old, like it's all broken, and you know, like there's entrenched ways of doing things and all the rest of it. Like to, to be able to both champion the customer and that vision, but then to not only go from that, um, but to actually like break it down into a program. Like I'd love to hear the stories and then the challenges and the successes and the wins in, in pulling that together because that's um, that's no small feat just even being able to break that down into a, to an actual plan. Yeah, and that's why we've developed a business case around it because we want to be able to articulate and have a roadmap for the future. What does that look like over the next five years? You know, we've done some work to date and we've got a lot of work ahead of us over that period. So as we put together the business case, there's a number of different lenses of work that we're doing. There's how processes work within the organisation. And we're, um, over the period of time, going to review all our services, all 151, and have a look at how we provide those from a customer lens. So what's that mean? It means understanding our customers' experience of us. It means um, mapping the journeys that they have with us. It means taking a service design lens, um, thinking about how we how we redesign that and testing it with our customers. So that's one stream of work, if you like, that's within the program. 
Another stream is the front-end um, delivery um, through digital means for our customers who want to deal with us that way. So those who um, want to you know, get on their, their iPhone at three in the morning and apply for a permit and pay for something, they'll be able to do that mm-hmm. you know, because we'll provide um, a front-end mechanism through our website for people to be able to um, liaise with us, apply for things, check things, log in and see what's relevant to them check on the status of their building application, inquiries they've had with council, that type of um, sort of personalised experience. So that's kind of one stream of work that sits with us. Underpinning all that is the uplift of our core capability that's needed within our systems. So I mentioned a little earlier, we've got many, many different systems within the organisation. They've evolved over time. They're quite fragmented. And while we have um, interfaces in place between the different systems, you know, we've recognised the need. We really need to get the core right to be able to support the front-end delivery um, and make this sustainable for what we're trying to do. So uplifting our core systems, strong, modern, integrated systems so that we can have um, really good information internally um, so we can operate efficiently within the organisation. Um, and a fair part of that's about mobility as well. So we've got staff who are in the office. We've got plenty of staff out in the field for them to have information to make decisions um, more quickly out in the field. Um, and to have a single view of our customers within the organisation. So that's sort of the third element. We've got reviewing what we do, our services, um, enabling our services at the front end for customers through a digital mechanism, um, the underpinning work around our systems, and then the people aspect. And fundamentally, as I mentioned before, it's about people and, and the change associated with what we're doing. So they're the streams, if you like, that run through our business case and the roadmap that we've got that sits within the business case maps out um, how we might deliver this objective of this program through those four streams working together, you know, and interacting with each other as we go along. Now, that's fantastic. And I mean, those things make a lot of sense in terms of starting with both the vision and then the the journey and then like what would be the ideal front end and then how do you then support it on the back end to make sure the plumbing can deliver that. But I mean, like this is no no small feat and it sort of crosses so many areas, right? It crosses everything from technology to like executive to people doing their processes today to systems. There's just so much of this, this crosses. I'm sort of interested in key challenges that you've come across in sort of being able to pull this together. There's complexity within the within the local government organisation that we have. As I said, 150 services, you know, and that's I mean that's the beauty to me of working in local government as well. We do so many different things. It's a really interesting environment to operate in. So one of my mantras for this program that we've got is that you know, this is not a program that's being done to the business. It's a program that's being done with the business, and it's the whole of business implementing this program. It's not something that sits within the customer experience directorate or area. It's actually a whole of business. So, a challenge is making sure that we're actually doing that in, um, you know, in a real way, and and we're engaging with them, liaising with people right across the organisation, and getting them excited and and working with us along the way of the program. You know, we've got great level of support within the organisation around what we're trying to do because it's the people in the business areas of the organisation who understand their customers best. You know, they understand where the pain points are. They're the ones who need to be involved as we go about um, service redesign. It's them who've got the gems. They've got the gold around things we need to be doing because they're the ones in touch with our customers each and every day. I think from a system point of view, again, it's a challenge. We've got a large network of systems and one of the things we've done to to set the path for the future is to really understand and map what does the future state look like of our systems. We've done that in a really deliberate way. So just documenting our enterprise architecture 
really understanding what we've currently got, understanding what's the target state for the future and then setting the path to get there. But it's been a lot of work in that building up and that was a, that was a lead into the business case and a real input to the business case that we developed, which then articulates you know, how we might go up about actually implementing this program. So they're really key aspects of complexity that come within the environment in which we operate. Bruce, welcome to the Quickfire Round. This is our lightning game show segment where you've got 10 seconds to answer each question. Are you ready? Sure am, Adam. All right, let's go. First question is, what brand do you look to as an example of great customer experience? Uh, I've had really good experiences with Apple. What did you want to be when you grew up? I didn't imagine I'd be in a customer experience role when I grew up. I think I probably wanted to be a teacher originally, as my parents were. What skill are you terrible at? Uh, Dancing. (laughs) (laughs) Does that count? That absolutely does count. There was no hesitation there either. No, that was very quick. Uh, Bruce, who's someone that you really admire? Uh, Nelson Mandela, Mm. from a a leadership perspective. What's a non-work-related thing that you're really into right now? Running. You're a runner. How far can we go? Uh, I did a marathon in August. That was the first one. Started a couple of years ago and it's a great release of you know tension and you know get out there and get on the track it's great yeah i'm with you on that one bruce where do you go to upskill books youtube podcasts what's your favorite uh places bit of a mix reading um yeah read a lot of articles uh a lot of leadership reading at the moment yep um and from a from a customer experience point of view and i'm I'm relatively new in this role. I've been in this role for about six months. Yep. So um, just soaking up everything I can by way of you know circulars and information and yeah, nice. um, getting out about talking to people. Any uh, any favourites that are, that are, that have stood out so far? Uh, from a leadership point of view, I'm reading a fair bit of Lencioni at the moment. Yep. Patrick Lencioni in the in the US. And finally, Bruce, what is your guilty pleasure? My guilty pleasure. Really good, expensive red wine. Mm, I can concur on yep. that one. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Just not after a long run, otherwise. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Quality, not quantity. So, Bruce, I'm wondering if you can tell us a story that's come up along this journey, um, if you've got one that comes to mind of... Something that, you know, didn't quite go right as you're expecting. Was it, you know, there was some people in the team that were maybe a bit sceptical or it was difficult to get leadership buy-in or, you know, dealing with external stakeholders was, was a bit of a challenge. Is there something that kind of comes to mind you can tell us about? I think one of the challenging things we did a little earlier this year, this was challenging because of the number of things we were trying to do at the one time and the number of different parties involved, was implementing multiple initiatives at the one time involving multiple vendors and um, many, many areas of the organisation. So in May this year, we implemented a new enterprise service bus. We implemented a new payment gateway. We've had many different payment gateways that exist where people make payments into the organisation and that both provides an inconsistent experience for them, but also um, a whole lot of back-end processing through multiple ways. And we implemented a number of e-forms um, with payments associated that are fully integrated end-to-end with our back-end systems. So someone can go in and you know, complete an application for a pet registration, a new pet that they're registering in the city. 
um, they can pay for it and that will automatically sort of send um, that information through to our back-end CRM system and our document management system and the relevant area to be able to um, then act on, you know, what they've asked for. The challenge was the multiple number of parties we needed to you know, bring together at the one time, coordinating vendors at the one place at the one time for the time they were needed, making sure that we had the customer, the design requirements right through really understanding the customer's perspective on the forms that we were implementing, primarily from the areas of the business who are responsible for those forms and making sure that um, it had a just a really good front end to what the customers were going to do. And there's lots of technology involved as well. So it was successful, but we had some challenges along the way while we had lots of support across the business, just making sure that as a program team, we have the right decision makers in the room at the time that it's needed. So that um, there are a couple of times we had to go back and double back on things where um, we headed down a particular path and then found later we needed to round back to make sure that we were meeting the business requirements. So just making sure the right decision makers are in the room and also making sure that we've got the customer input up front as we're designing, rather than designing and then coming in later to ensure the customer requirements have been met. Um, so there are a couple of learnings from that project that we're taking into the future, um, you know, the future forms that we're developing. I assume that you're probably working with external vendors um, to either come in and train you guys or at least to uh, run certain streams of work. Um, but that becomes a challenge, right? Because then you have uh, you know, agencies coming in and helping you run that or consultants. And then you've got, you know, technology providers who are coming in and building payment gateways and technology systems, working with your internal IT systems. And then of course, you need to create documentation and training systems for your front of house staff um, who are dealing with customers face-to-face -face or on the phone when they have an issue or a challenge. And so you've got, I don't know, maybe 10, 15, 50 different um, vendors, stakeholders, and different parties that you're all trying to orient around a single business outcome and a single customer, uh, which can be quite hard. So I guess I've outlined, a, <laughs> I'm getting to the question, which is how do you do that? With a lot of planning <laughs> and a lot of coordination. And that's really what it comes down to, you know, with obviously having a, a, a plan for the timing of when we're doing these things having really good um, scheduling within our sort of our program management office, making sure that there's uh, there's visibility of when we need different parties at different times. You know, I mean, right up front, we, we make decisions about where we've got the capability to provide equal skill set in-house and when we, when we need to source that from another party. And you're right, this program's a combination of both of those things. You know, I've got some really skilled people within the organisation working as part of our program team um, and we need to bring in external support for specialist areas where either it just doesn't make sense to have that capability within the organisation long term or where it's difficult to attract people. You know, And some of these um, technical disciplines can be pretty tough to recruit people, particularly um, um, you know, if it's for short periods of time in and out, depending on program needs. So the planning and coordination is really critical. We've got a fairly established, um, you know, governance framework around the program. And as we sort of move into the next phase, we're looking to enhance that further and just make sure that that, that coordination is as good as it can be. For those that are listening that are going, that's what we need to be doing, whether it's in our organisation or our local government, like we need to be orientating ourselves around the customer just wants to build a fence. <laughs> like, how do we how do we orientate everything that we deliver around that? And then, and then, like we have talked about, it can be daunting to think about everything that that, that needs to uh, be done internally to be able to you know get to that end state. Um, you talk about 
the complexities of bringing everyone together and the importance of you know having a plan and sort of beating the drum to that plan which bits have you found to be the most important to make sure that a the plan comes together you know sort of b you know it, it, it goes it goes to plan um and then where, where where things are drifting or stalling that you know there's a way to sort of um you know herd herd all the cats back on track i think it's a combination of a number of things so Having a clear vision for what we're seeking to achieve in the organisation, owned at the top level and and driven through the organisation, so CEO-driven, executive-driven um, and um, understood through the organisation, that's something we've spent a lot of time um, talking about and getting that message out in the last period of time. So making sure that's understood and people understand where we're heading and why it is we need to head that way. You know, this is a customer experience program. It's also um, going to deliver significant benefits for staff within the organisation. So there's a huge employee experience element that comes through this as well. You know, some of the repetitive manual stuff that's done at the moment, having to look in multiple systems to get information to be able to service a customer's request, to be able to cut through that and have a single point that you can go to and have to not deal with uh, you know, manually inputting information where it's automatically flowing through systems, those types of things will, that will give our employees a better experience as well. So that's a really, really critical element. And probably the second element is just being absolute focus on customer. So not assuming what the customer is seeking or what they want, but making sure that we're, you know, with good research and actually going and talking to our customers about um, what it is that we're doing and seeking their input into it at the start you know, not assuming that we know what our customers want. Bruce, one thing that you mentioned right at the top of this discussion was that, you know, you're orienting the organization around the changing needs of your customers. And and that phrase was quite interesting to me. I'm wondering, you know, the, the changing needs of the, the, the customers or the, the residents or visitors to City of Burundara Council, how are you like A, measuring that, B, benchmarking it? You know, are you looking at um, other councils or are you looking at like Uber, Netflix, Amazon, like the best in class? Tell us about how you're approaching those changing needs of the customer. Well, we know our customers are increasingly time poor. Uh, We know that they want to be able to deal with us on their terms. So, you know, we get that feedback. And we know that our customers don't compare us to their neighbouring local government because they live in our city, maybe their own property in another city. But, um, you know, they're comparing us with their people they deal with for other services, their banks, their telcos, their finance providers, their insurers. Um, and we hear of their frustrations with wanting to do things easily and quickly and in the way that they want. We see that that's changed over the last few years and will continue to evolve, you know, and that demand, that um, expectation of our community is constantly increasing. So we've got a number of different ways, I guess, we try to measure, you know, how we're uh, seen by our community and how we're operating in the customer experience space. We participate in a community satisfaction survey that's um, undertaken with most Victorian local governments and that's um, one in which we rate really well. That's compared to other local councils. So we know we stack up pretty well compared to other local councils. We gain insights through other ways, um, mystery shopping, um, where we have someone come in and either on the phone or in person pretend to be a customer and to um, relay to us the experience from an expert perspective. We've undertaken benchmarking from a, specifically from a customer experience um, perspective um, and had surveys undertaken of our community from, from that um, angle. Uh, and we've seen the results there compared to both councils, but we've also seen the results um, against other industries as well, other service industries. You know, and we're tracking okay, but we want to keep getting better. And a key part of what we're doing 
as we implement the customer first program, we're going to look at other ways in which we can gather insights about our customers directly. Because one thing we do know is that the things that drive satisfaction are things like clear and open communication, having a consistent service experience, being respected, so the organisation being respectful to them in the way that we're providing our services and removing bureaucracy and red tape. And they're actually no different than the drivers of satisfaction for other industries as well. We've done a fair bit to date uh, and we're going to look to expand that as we go forward. Mm. As you say, Bruce, it sounds oh so simple, but um, <laughs> actually making it come to life is the, the difficult bit. So, you guys are partially through this process and, and uh, you know, not everything is completely finished as, uh, as we can assume um, because there's, you know, 151, I think you said, different services to change over and a whole bunch of systems to, to go along with that. Um, but I'm wondering, where have you seen an example so far um, with the things that you have changed over of this new approach? Um, can you tell us maybe a customer story um, or some feedback that you've had from somebody who was really elated um, with the new way that you guys are approaching the customer first program? A really good example where we've got great feedback is the online forms that we've introduced, which enable people to be able to book a service or pay for something um, in a way that they haven't been able to do before. So we would have made people come into the counter to pay cash or to pay by credit card over the counter for some of the services that we provide. But we'll be moving more and more of our services to an online application payment channel, you know, one interaction, that's it. One service that uh, I'll give as an example, and it's not a there's not a payment associated for, for booking a hard waste collection. So people, if you've got some um, some rubbish you want to get rid of, um, your council might offer a um, you know a once or twice a year hard waste collection service where you can put extra stuff out on your nature strip, and your council will come and pick it up. We, we offer that, and um, we um, offer it at a time of the residents' convenience. So they book that with us, and then we come and collect it. Uh, and that used to be a manual process um, for someone to to have to call up to book. And there was a whole lot of manual processes at the back end then for that service to actually happen. That's an example where we've introduced an online form where a person can book the service, they can book the time, the window of time in which it will happen. Um, they get their instructions issued to them as to what they need to do, and then that's it. And we've had some really good feedback from residents about you know that being a time saver to them in what they're doing, rather than having to um, you know to speak to multiple people and to um, in order to be able to get that service delivered. And it's also save time at the back end. As we're making improvements to to make it easier for the customer, it also makes it easier for the staff within the organisation providing the service. So it's that double benefit. Just understanding the high-level ROI. So uh, I may not have the exact numbers, but you're roughly saying you're going to spend $130 million on these programs um, to get $180 million in savings. Um, I think I'm pretty clear on how you spend the $130 million. I think that's going to that's uh, that, that's going to happen quite quite easily and quickly uh, in just smashing together all these systems and 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 redesigning them, etc. I'm particularly interested in where you worked out the savings because I think uh, at any kind of business case, if you say you're going to spend 130 to save 180, how'd you work out the savings for the ROI here? Yeah, so it's a mix of things that make up that savings number. Um, the largest proportion is productivity improvements uh -huh. through through better systems in place, better information, um, you know, not having to undertake the manual entering of information that we currently do, saving time through um, having information at hand quickly and readily in one place rather than having to look in multiple places, um, you know, saving time through being able to have information out in the field rather than someone having to come back to the office to get information. There's a whole lot of things that sit within that, that productivity category 
Um, and that's the largest single component of the $180 million savings. That's been um, sort of derived as we've looked at, well, what are, where are the opportunities here within what we're implementing you know, to make savings across the organisation? And that's over a period of time. So that's over the 15-year period that this case goes for. And then there's also savings from, you know, we've got 150 systems and 50 core ones that we need to support at the moment. Um, and with fragmented systems, that's costly. So as we start to replace those and bring in more integrated systems, we'll be saving on those existing systems we have. Um, and there's various other smaller categories as well, but they're the key ones. And out of interest, how important was that to get momentum in the business case across the line? Because I can imagine some people would just say, it's the right thing to do. Like, let's spend the money over time to, you know, bring it together, even if the maths maybe don't align up, you know, in, in a perfect equation around the ROI. Or from your perspective, was that having that that clear-eyed view on what the return is? Like, was that was that really critical? Well, I think both are important. So um, the expenditure, as I said, it's about 3% of our budget over that 15-year period. You know, that's a, I mean, I think that puts context and perspective around the number because for what, for what we're able to deliver, you know, for that's, um, you know, 3% of the budget is uh, there's plenty of the budget left for many, many other things that we do. Um, it, it was important that we were able to quantify and to be able to understand what the benefits are that we're going to derive from, you know, this implementation. When we started the business case, do we have a set number for what that benefit number needed to be? Well, no, we wanted to understand from doing this work what was going to be the um, the impact, uh, where were we going to be able to make savings within the organisation, um, that deliver savings back to the council and the community, and that's ultimately, again, why we're here. And so we're really pleased with the business case um, and its projections of $180 million, and we're now committed and accountable for delivering that. Well, Bruce, we look forward to seeing how you progress with such a bold ambition. I want to thank you so much for coming on today's show. It was really, really informative. And uh, congratulations on the Customer First program. You're welcome. Really enjoyed the chat. Well, Adam, another outstanding show. This time, local government shines in customer experience. Absolutely. I've been waiting a long time to talk to Bruce and I really wanted to ask him if you had $129 million to spend, how would you spend it? I think uh, we uh, we uncovered that uh, really nicely um, and some really good practical takeaways from this episode too. So, the first thing that really hit me in this conversation was just how important it is for someone and for a team, hopefully you listening, to have a clear vision and articulate that. It took someone, I was hoping that there was a there was a banging at the table story that happened behind the scenes. Maybe there was, but someone clearly said, do you know what, for our customers to apply for a fence, they have to go here, they have to go here, they have to do this, that's just painful. <laughs> that's not good enough. We need to start with a customer and orientate around them. And so I think the first thing that, that is a clear takeaway for me is how important that vision and that rally cry and obviously the executive buy-in um, that comes with that, how that is really just a, a foundational piece for, for customer experience. That's a really nice kind of setup for takeaway number two, which was, you know, once you've had the pitchfork moment, you know, the customers uh, chanting out the front of the council building with, you know, flaming torches and pitchforks saying, we want to change. Um, how do you actually put that into action? Yeah. And, you know, you essentially need a plan. You, you got to take the first couple of steps to actually doing that. Um, and what I really like is as much as the city of Burundara and Bruce and his team have, you know, written up this, you know, 15 year long business plan um, with huge, you know, costs and, and different uh, parts associated with it. 
it is also really actionable and they've they've just kind of got started. They're taking the first steps and, and that's really what is actually important um, because if you do nothing mm. uh, or if you spend too long with analysis paralysis, then, then you end up making no progress. So, um, yeah, make a plan and, and get started. I think it's really important, right? Because I think it's easy to get fired up about how crap everything is and how everything should just be seamless for the customer and can sort of see that vision. Um, but it can be quite overwhelming and, you know, it's sort of almost easy to sort of freeze up and go, oh my God, like to try to change all of that, like it's just too hard or like let's just stick to the way that it is or it's not quite my job or what have you. Um, but actually like just breaking it down, having a plan um, and getting started and also being okay with that plan being over a period of time. What I quite like about theirs is that it has realistic timeframes, right? Like they're taking a five-year plus view. They're not kind of going, oh my God, we need to change everything and it all needs to happen in the next six months. Um, breaking it down and as you said, getting started. Um, which sort of leads nicely into the, the the third takeaway for me was just how there was a level of humility through the conversation around we don't have all the expertise in-house. Like we have an outstanding team, but we're okay to bring in experts when required um, to both help create the plan, to help execute some of the plan, to help like check the way that we're thinking about things. And I think that's really, really important, right? Because no one's going to have all the technology expertise. No one's going to have all the change management expertise. Certainly not all the like service design and blueprint design and all these like customer experience stuff like no organization you know unless you're a large bank has all this in-house and even then they probably haven't gone through big transformations before so a lot of people are doing this for the first time so bringing in the experts at the right time and having that level of comfort to go do you know what we're going to get some extra support here um, so we can chip away at this plan i think is, is really really important and then the final takeaway is really the the ROI piece, right? Like, how do you actually sell this to management, to um, you know the the team, um, and of course to the constituents, the customers? What what's kind of in it for them? Um, and particularly when you're in a government organisation like the city of Burundara is, uh, I assume there's you know quite high levels of scrutiny around how budgets are actually spent. So you said it in the in the interview there, Mike. Spend 130, get 180. It's an absolute no-brainer. Um, why, why would you not do this? And what I also love is that the business case is public. So anyone can kind of log in and read it and, and talk about, you know, where those cost savings are actually coming from. I mean, uh, if you look at it, there's um, there's a whole bunch of different categories. I mean, we'll put a link to this business case in the show notes. I think it's actually a really great framework if you're in an organization listening right now and you want to put together something similar you can use this as a bit of a um, a bit of a blueprint to get started with. You know, they've got labor productivity, they've got cost savings with you know um, different vendors and IT, um, even things like printing and postage savings. Um, one one point six million dollars of uh, of total printing and postage savings over over the uh, period. So. Um, it's a really great framework. Um, and so when you actually map things out with the detail that they have done and looking at, you know, things like postage and cost savings of staff and all that kind of stuff, um, efficiencies of, of, of people not spending time on things, then it becomes really clear that there is actually money to be saved and perhaps money to be made from investing in customer experience. So yeah, who would have thought putting uh, putting customer at the at the center would, uh, <laughs> would, would, would save you money often it can be easily be seen as a nice to have, but I think that's really important, right? And then all these pieces come together. You got you know, the big vision, why are we doing this? It just makes so much sense and it's like motivating and then like here's a plan and we're not going to overwhelm you. We're going to break it down and we're going to get started here. We've got experts to help us where we maybe feel like we need the extra support and we're pretty clear we're going to spend 130 and get back 180 um, and then there's sort of really, really clear ROI driving behind it. 
Nice. Well, you've kind of summed up the four takeaways there, Mike, um, already. <laughs> so perhaps we should just um, just put them in a vision, plan, expertise, and ROI. Boom. Done. Love Thanks it. for listening. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, great episode. Thanks so much for for listening. If you'd like to find out more information or um, actually want to connect with Michael or myself, we love to hear from the customer experience leaders fans. You can reach out to both of us on LinkedIn, and we'll. We'll pop a link to both of our um, LinkedIn profiles in the episode show notes. Thanks very much, Adam. Until next time. See you later. Speak to you soon. Thanks for listening. Customer Experience Leaders is produced by Rate It, the new and better way to listen to your customers. Rate It is an omni-channel way to capture analyze and interpret customer feedback and to help you act on what needs improving to grow your business. So to learn how Rated can help you improve your organization's customer experience, head to the website rateitapp.com. That's R-A-T-E-I-T-A-P-P.com. This show is made in partnership with Wavelength Creative. Our music is by Icolics, Peter Cooley, and The Shrugs. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and I'll speak to you next time.